About, um, I, I, I think it was about 20 years ago, um, a great book came out uh, called The Island of Lost Maps. No? Nobody? It was a bestseller at the time, and uh, in the introduction to it, uh, Miles Harvey, who's the author, he shares a sentiment uh, with which I resonated. Actually, the whole subject of maps I'm going to resonate with. But he also resonated with this sentiment, and I, I think you will too. Uh, this is what he, he wrote. He says, um, this is in the introduction. He says, in my 30s, I spent a great deal of time at the copy, that's K-O-P-I, uh, at the copy, uh, which is a self-proclaimed traveler's cafe. It's in Chicago. Uh, whose walls were adorned with masks from Bali and shelves were filled with lonely planet guides to far-flung destinations. I was then the literary critic for Outside Magazine, a great job, but one that was beginning to wear on my patience. The books I read were about people who climbed Himalayan peaks or rode bicycles through Africa or sailed wooden boats across the Atlantic or trekked into restricted areas of China. These tales of adventure filled my days and my imagination, yet my own life was anything but adventurous. The hours spent slogging through book after book in a dark corner of that coffee house or staring endlessly into a computer screen. The interior of the copy, K-O-P-I, uh, was ringed by clocks, each one showing the time in some distant locale. And as I watched the weeks tick by in Timbuktu and Juno and Goa and Denpasar and Yogyakarta, I began to long for an adventure of my own. Harvey said that he just loved looking at maps. And I think that's why somebody gave me this book, because they knew that's me as well. Harvey said that he said in, in here that he, he, he felt like he was acting like a character in a, in a Joseph Conrad novel who said, when I grow up, I will go there. So Harvey would look for hours at exciting places in South America, Africa, or Australia, and lose himself in the, in the glories of possible adventures around the world. He'd find an exciting spot on the map, put his finger on the spot, and say to himself, as it were, when I grow up, I will go there. When I grow up, I will go there. Is it just me? Can you identify with Miles Harvey at all? Are you ever impatient with your life? Do you ever grow weary of the routine, of the way things are? Is there any part of you that might like to get up from your seat and go off on an adventure that might leave your life qualitatively better than it is today? there have been those who answered such questions with a resounding yes. Yes, I want to go there. Listen again now to this story from the Bible about some people who did go. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Fishermen, that was their life. That was, that was their box, their world. That, that was their coffee shop in which they hung out all the time, you know, as it were. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
Jesus said, I will take who you are today and I will teach you how to play in a new key with more impact, with more influence. I will make you fishers of men. Immediately it says, immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. When I was 19 years, I figured out, it was when I was 19 years old that I made a new friend, uh, Peter Lurvie. He was a few years older than me, but we were both uh, juniors in the same college. Now, why weren't we the same age if we were in the same year at college? Because instead of going straight to university, a group of four others from Minnesota who were headed for India to sing and play music in Lutheran churches there and generally help out with evangelism and the ministry, this group said to Peter, come with us. And he did. He put his university on hold. He went. Once, I remember him telling me, when he got sick while in India, he slept in the train above the seats in the luggage rack with the, using his Bible as a pillow as they went to the next city. Now, when I heard all this from Peter, I was dumbfounded. What? Who does these things? <clears throat> well, in one sense, that's what the disciples did. They just got up and followed this strange new rabbi, Jesus. It's, it's striking how immediate their response is. Jesus says, follow me. And all these hard-nosed working people suddenly drop their tools, or in their case, their nets, or, their, or they get out of their vehicles, you know. They leave behind their associates. In one case, it was their, their father, one of them. And they go following after Jesus. Who does this? When we read these things, I think we can't help but feel that there's something about this kind of response that's kind of contrary to human nature. It's just so odd. Seems odd, that is, until we read the words that come in the Gospel next. In the Gospel of Matthew, what comes next, um, it gives us the context that makes what those men did in following Jesus understandable, not inexplicable. Here's what it says. Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel. By the way, proclaiming the gospel would have been said something he did outside the synagogues. That's like a herald, herald message. You teach inside, you, pro, you, you preach. That's not how we use the word preach, but it means proclaim. You proclaim outside. Okay, anyway, uh, the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him, all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. In other words, lots of people from lots of places and all walks of life lay down their tools, got out of their vehicles, released some of their associates, and followed him. When I read those words, I get it. The explanation of the immediate response of so many people. 
Those disciples and all those other people, they were willing to get up and go after Jesus because they had seen with their own two eyes what Jesus could do with a life that was put into his hands. They'd seen his transforming power. Jesus has said, I've come that you may have life and may have it to the full. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life abundantly. And that's life with a capital L. That's why I've come. To take you to that life. Those fishermen had seen what Jesus could actually do with a life entrusted to his care. They'd seen what he did with people in pain. They'd seen how he could transform those who were distracted, fragmented by demons, voices and forces pulling them. They'd seen what Jesus could do with those who were seized up with stress, who could no longer really function. They'd seen what Jesus did with those who were paralyzed in place, who were stuck and were going nowhere under their own power, and how Jesus transformed life for them. Jesus could make people healthy and whole. He could take people with whatever condition they had, wherever they were, and imbue them with life that transformed them, that changed them, that made them healthier and more whole. That's why they followed him. They wanted it for themselves and to be part of this. They wanted to go into that kind of a kingdom. What about you? Me. Are you interested in a more abundant, healthier, fuller life than the one you've settled into? What if Jesus could take you to a land where your past wounds and mistakes no longer haunt and hamper you? And you live totally free of that past. What if he could take you to the land of beginning again? What was that movie? Do over. What if he could guide you to a region where relationships are safer and sweeter than you've dared to dream they could ever be for you? What if you could go from the boredom of watching time tick by in your life to getting up every single morning with purpose? Feeling the exhilaration of knowing that today God is going to use my life to make a difference in the lives of other people. What if there was a way that you could get so close to the infinite God that you didn't just know about him, you knew him as your closest companion? Jesus can take you to that place on the map. Imagine. Imagine him leading you on a wild, unpredictable, magnificent, transforming journey. Imagine gaining such closeness to him along the journey that he progressively you know, builds himself into you. He, he infuses you with his own character because you're with him all the time. So that when people meet you, they think, well, it's like, I feel like I've been with Jesus. What if he could do this in you? Imagine him filling you up at the very center of your being, filling you up with something that was from beyond yourself with love, with joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that had the effect that no addiction or seduction could ever own you again. Not that you'd never feel the bony hand of temptation pulling on you, but that that temptation would not own you, even if you stumble because you belong to him. Imagine that you had such power from him in your center that no enemy could ever phase you again. 
No storm or strife could ever, there'd be storms and strifes, but they could not destroy you again. Imagine if he called you to travel with him onto that great adventure. What would you say? Would you say yes? I think we might say yes. If it was possible to have this full and abundant life by following him, we might say yes. Well, the truth is, Christ has called you and me. He's calling you to that kind of life, to that kind of a relationship with him, that kind of an adventure with him. For those of you who have been following him or have at least been attending church for years, he's been calling you every day of that time to this kind of transforming life. However, there's something about this invitation that honestly feels just kind of out of reach for most of us. It's how it feels to us. You know how I know that? Because when I asked you the question a moment ago, would you like to go and do this? response was, frankly, a, a little weak. Okay? A little weak. Nobody jumped up out of their pew and said, yeah! But you know, if I said, hey, just let me interrupt you for a moment, would you like to go to the Super Bowl? I just got given tickets. Well, Ellie would not want to go, okay? She's made indicated that. But I bet a lot of other people would jump up and go, you got tickets? Yeah! Pat, <laughs> Pastor Neil is great, getting us tickets for the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, okay. There's something in us, though, that feels that the life that Jesus talks about, the abundant life he's talking about, that it's somehow just out of reach for us. And thus, we lack the boldness to say an outright, yeah, when he calls us. More often. Do you know what our, our reply is like? It's more often like, um, well, when I grow up, then I'll go there. Meaning, when I'm more mature as a Christian, when I have more faith, when I'm less sinful, then I'll go to these places Jesus is talking about, I'll go with him, when I'm a little more convinced, when I don't have all the obligations I have and all the distractions, all my failings and complications, when that's there, I might go. And so many of us church folks, as a result, unintentionally become sideliners, like on the sidelines. And not not just church folks either. I guess everybody can become a a sideliner to the great adventure of life, more of an observer than a real liver of life, someone who's more of a spectator than a player in it, people living more vicariously through others than, than valiantly. Their passion is found in the books they read and the movies they watch. They fight their battles through fantasy proxies like James Bond or Katniss Everdeen. Sideliners admire and applaud the great servants. Go, courageous heroes and spiritual superstars, but they themselves don't get up out of their chair. They don't rise to their feet and shout. They do not leave the room in which they're sitting and actually go with God to those places. They think to themselves, later, I don't know, when I grow up. When I grow up, I might go there. They still have not realized 
And it's not by sitting, but only by going with God to those blank spaces on the map where they've never been before, but they will actually grow. And here's the thing. The, the world doesn't need armchair Jesus observers or even Jesus fans. What the world needs so desperately is Jesus followers. People filled with his love, joy, patience, clarity of vision, and courage of spirit. And where could the world actually use these kinds of people? Well, filling up our homes, our workplaces, the politics we've got, our schools, our communities. You know, when Jesus calls you to follow him, he's not calling you to India, at least not probably, called Peter, but probably not us. He's calling you to live life with him as your king where? In your home, your workplace, in politics, at school, and in the, this community, reflecting his kingdom right where you are. We think, no, he, he, he really can't mean me. I'm, I'm such a sinful man, or I'm such a sinful woman. Listen, it's true. You are. So am I. But the biblical faith teaches us that real sinners, like you and me, have a real Savior, Jesus. By his cross, he's already saved us entirely from the separation and the condemnation of sin. That's dealt with. That's gone. We are really, truly forgiven. Because of that, we who are baptized and forgiven in Christ have been made eligible by God, not by our performance, but we've been declared eligible by God to accept Christ's call, to now follow him and to grow, to be his disciples and to go with him into an abundant life. Really? Just get up and start following Jesus? It sounds simple. But it doesn't feel so simple, does it? It, does, it doesn't feel like a simple, straightforward thing to us. Why doesn't it? How come? Well, I came across this. I really like this. A quote from Ray Ortland. He says, <clears throat> it's a long quote. And I need a little more water. <coughs> Pardon me. He says, <clears throat> you and I are not integrated, unified whole persons. Our hearts are multi-divided. It's like we have a boardroom in every heart. Imagine it in there. A big table, leather chairs, coffee, bottled water, a white board. A committee sits around the table in your heart. There is the social self there, the private self, the work self, the sexual self, the recreational self, the religious self, and others. The committee is arguing and debating and voting, constantly agitated and upset. Rarely can they come to a unanimous, wholehearted decision. We tell ourselves that we're this way because we're so busy with so many responsibilities. But the truth is, we're just divided inside, unfocused, hesitant, and unfree. End of quote. Yeah, our sins are forgiven. 
but our souls are still like a disordered committee. This is our condition. Ortland says that there's two ways that believing forgiven people relate to Jesus, hoping to go on to spiritual maturity. One of those ways they try is to invite him onto the committee. Take a seat at my, the committee table in my heart, you tell him. I wonder how many of us have done that, even this year, in some kind of a New Year's resolution. We've said, this year, I will listen to God more. I will give God a vote. We let Christ become one more complication in an already crowded, confusing, clamorous life. Yet there is another way to relate to Jesus. And it's to say to him, my life, frankly, isn't working. Please come in and fire my committee. Let every one of them go. You have redeemed me. I hand myself over to you alone. Jesus, I put myself in your hands. The Lord Jesus wants to take us boldly where we've never gone before, into the life of the kingdom of God. He wants to take us on the great adventure. And that is exactly what he means when he says, come and follow me. Do so. Starting just as you are. You say, oh, just as I am, I'm, I'm too poor in spirit. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You're eligible. Come and follow me. Let him show you the life for which you were truly made. So here, getting close to the end now of my sermon, is a recommendation. Consider putting at the top of your resolution list this commitment. I will take some deliberate steps to go on the great adventure with Christ this year. I'll, I'll get out of my chair. I'll, I'll, I'll get in motion. Get off the silence. Go with Jesus to some blank space on the map. I'm going to go with him. Me and him. Now, as a pastor, it's my job under Christ to help any member of this church who's ready to do that, who says, okay, I'm going. What now? At St. James, because we're Christ's church, we must assist people who are in that position. When Jesus told his church at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, make disciples, that translates into help who's ever ready to get up and actually take steps to grow and follow Christ. So when that, so when that person who is going for it is you, what kind of help have we got here at St. James Lutheran Church for you to do that? I'm going to mention a couple of things. One is the Alpha Course. Ever heard of that? Well, you're hearing about it now. The Alpha Course. Not only will it, it's 10 weeks long, not only will it, take, it teach you deeply about God's grace, God's love, and God's forgiveness in Christ, not only will it provide you with friends and companions, it will also introduce you to key things followers of Jesus need to practice in order to be disciples. There's topics there like, how does God guide us? Really, how are we going to be able to follow Jesus if we don't know how God guides us? There's a topic, Alpha. There's a topic, why and how do I pray? Does God still heal today? You know, is Jesus going around healing people? How do we participate in that today? Why and how should I tell others is a topic. 
how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? And there's other topics. It's really super coarse. Now, Alpha is an introduction. We got two Alpha courses going right now, and there'll be more in months to come. Those willing to press on after the Alpha course is over, I'm going to gather into something I'm calling Beta, Alpha, Beta, okay? A Beta group. What will that be? In Beta, we'll not so much learn about, but we'll put into practice the things we were introduced to in the Alpha course. The objective is to join with the risen Jesus, going with him, learning to believe and to do what we see people in the Gospels believing and doing. That's discipleship. Friends, when Jesus says to you, come and follow me, it's the most amazing invitation you'll ever get. Say yes to it. Take some steps in his direction and you will have a life that is full and extraordinary. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus for life everlasting. Amen.